Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It was late at night, and Rob Cohen stood at the side of the road as multiple police cruisers whizzed by. For the past two hours, he had watched on as a community of drivers illegally drag raced their souped-up Japanese imports. Two cars at a time would line up next to each other, offering the simplest of propositions. Cross the finish line first and take home the money. At the drop of an arm, they'd speed down the dusty Los Angeles streets at speeds of upwards of 180 miles an hour. Of course, none of this was sanctioned. The arrival of the police abruptly ended the race and sent thousands of horsepower scattering through the city trying to get away. But the whole experience left Cohen buzzing. As an anthropology major at Harvard, he felt like he had discovered a secret world. But as a movie producer and director, he felt like he discovered his next project. Cohen was only there because a young exec at Universal handed him a copy of the latest Vibe magazine. He told him there was a story in there he might be interested in. After Cohen read the article Racer X about an underground world of street racing in New York City, he couldn't stop thinking about its potential. He had to see it for himself. So his friend and auto journalist, RJ Devera, brought him here. The experience left him hooked. He knew he had a story. The only question was, could he sell it? Who started modern urban street racing and why did they love imported cars? Are cars cool enough to be the stars of a movie franchise? Why didn't the original script for The Fast and the Furious make the cut? And how much Vin Diesel is enough Vin Diesel? Today on Pass Gas, the first chapter in our two-part series on the wild and true story behind The Fast and Furious franchise. Overnight pots from Japan. Yeah, overnight. I have that thing. Uh, <laughs> I can't concentrate. 
Uh, ADD? Yes. That <laughs> shit. Vin Diesel just posted on his Instagram, we got to get Brittany Griner back before Christmas. Oh, good. <laughs> I do feel like Vin Diesel has a certain Steven Seagal quality about him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where he could see himself as an emissary to other foreign nations. Mm-hmm. Although I do think Vin Diesel is cooler than Steven Seagal Way and probably cooler. less of an asshole and douchebag. Well, Steven Seagal was the result of a bet by a producer with his friend that he... He bet his friend that he could make the dumbest idiot into a huge star. <laughs> I believe it. Um, what? There's so much to talk about, and you guys are talking about Steven Seagal. He's not even Sorry, in these he's movies. he's not even related. I'm just saying. I got sidetracked. <laughs> you're, right, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. All right. Hey, international politics and Steven Seagal. <laughs> you're, you're, it's a movie. It's tangentially related, okay? Welcome to Past Gas, Thank you, everybody. Finally. The intro of the oh, show. Oh, sorry for Hello. having fun bants. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my name is Nolan Sykes. I'm joined as always by my co-host. We got Joe Weber sitting across What's from up, me. What's up, Slime Nation? Full on offensive uh, against Minnesota and James Pumphrey this week. Whoa, okay. whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, settle that. Let's take a breath, everybody. <laughs> oh, isn't, okay, that's nice. Uh, James, hello. Hi, Hi Nolan. What's how? How you doing? I'm doing. I was doing great until Joe uh, <laughs> declared all-out war against me. Oh, in I'm a sorry. State Maybe where my uh, family lives. Yeah, I guess I I should have made an Instagram account called Joe Weber hates James's family. <laughs> yeah, I, speaking of Instagram accounts, uh, I want to give a shout out to all the whole community of Minnesota hates Joe Weber Instagram. We are now at 121 followers. <laughs> wow, strong. Yeah, strong. Uh, I do. Well, 121. That's almost as many lakes as they have in Minnesota. Oh. You know what, man. This week, I felt kind of bad for not naming it Joe Weber Hates Minnesota because that's like a little bit less negative towards my friend. Like, I, I was like, man, I shouldn't have said Minnesota hates Joe Weber. I don't want anyone to hate Joe Weber. But, you know, I do. I want everyone to hate you. Jesus. <laughs> I hate you. All right, guys, let's let's... I don't hate you. I love yeah, you, Joe. That's right. Okay. Joe and I have been friends for longer Long than anyone uh, else at Donut. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, Joe and I have known each other since we were wee lads. Yeah, I saw the first time I saw James, he was dressed like a sailor, but like a cool sailor. And that was just a Wednesday. It was Halloween. (laughs) 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 Sarah, it is Halloween. (laughs) So yeah, this week we're covering a topic that we've covered many times on the the regular channel, on the YouTube channel, but never in the podcast. We're talking about the Fast and Furious franchise. The reason a lot of us like cars. And I'll go as far as to say the reason we have a lot of the cars in America that we do. I think the Fast and the Furious is one of the reasons that Subaru decided to bring the WRX over here. I think it's one of the reasons that Ford started making cool focuses for us. That's true. Yeah, it's an impact on pop culture and the car I think it's one of the reasons we had the Evo. Definitely, definitely. And the continued production of the 350z perhaps Mm -hmm. the gtr for sure for sure huge inspiration for our channel and uh, a lot of our content comes from it yeah that's why we all wear tank tops and wear chain well actually a lot of you guys do wear chains yeah Yeah. um what's her name michelle rodriguez Mm -hmm. has a stipulation in her contract that she has to wear a black beater for more than 50 percent of the movie really yes you mean a black uh Uh, sorry uh tank top (laughs) black (laughs) tank top a black non-binary partner lover. Yes. All right. Uh, <laughs> let's get into our story here. 
Uh, yeah, I'm excited to get into it. And hey, we're doing a two-parter. Something we haven't done in a little Very while. Very excited. Yeah. All jokes aside, this movie is hugely impactful to car enthusiasts our age. One of the reasons that Donut works is because this this series came out and, and was so popular. They're not great cinema (laughs) but that's one of the things that makes them so uh cool and there's a great story behind them there are i think three good ones like truly good movies yeah yeah um i have the same accountant as paul walker and his brother came to my birthday party one time that's true i remember that this one's real close to my heart yeah it's been a long time okay The 80s sometimes seemed like they were America's teenage years. They were filled with poor choices, awkward haircuts, and way too much time spent at shopping malls. The early 90s were a different... What? Oh. The early 90s were a direct reaction to that. In an effort to forget all the pastels and vapid consumerism of the prior decade, the 90s spawned many cultural coping mechanisms. Among them were grunge music, The Simpsons, and thrill-seeking sports like urban drag racing also known as street Street racing. racing. Not that street racing didn't exist before. It just never existed like this. This wasn't a bunch of middle-class Steve McQueen wannabes and American-made muscle cars, nor was it two Beverly Hills attorneys pulling up to the red light and a couple of Italian supercars. Our friend Anders ran from the police in a Ferrari. Or, sorry, his dad. His dad with his... He was was a kid in the passenger seat. Yeah, crazy. His dad was drunk as hell. You guys are narcs. <laughs> I mean, it's, just, it's part of his stand-up that he does. Uh, okay. This was a working-class and multicultural community of car racing maniacs known as the import scene. Hot import nights. Hot import nights. I was asked to host hot import nights in Australia. That's kind of cool. Like a while ago, right? A long time ago. Oh, there was a wet t-shirt contest uh, oh. that I would have to judge. And I was like, I don't really want to do that. And they're like, all right, well, you need to, mate. We'll find someone else. <laughs> <laughs> There's just a bunch of guys in tank tops. Yeah. <laughs> like what, a windshield fluid. <laughs> <laughs> the import scene was started by a large group of young Asian American car enthusiasts in Southern California. They take light, well-crafted, and modestly priced Japanese cars and spend thousands of dollars upgrading, usually adding various performance parts like superchargers or turbochargers, exhausts, intakes, racing tires, and the most important mod of all, spoilers. 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 For most, modifying the car was a process that took a long time. A racer would string together a couple of victories, make some cash, and then use it for the next upgrade. And no performance part was more coveted and effective than nitrous oxide. Also known as NOS, it dates all the way back to World War II, when it was used to increase the speed and power of airplane engines by cooling the air entering the engine and increasing the amount of oxygen in the intake charge. It allows for a greater amount of fuel to be converted to energy. And energy and, is what we're looking for, baby. And mo energy, baby. Yeah, you guys can't see it right now, but we are dapping hard. <laughs> we're doing the gritty, all of us. <laughs> yeah, really well. To the outside observer, the import scene might seem like a dangerous and illegal hobby whose main focus is to make quick money and show off their car. But for the drivers and their teams, it was something much more substantial than that. It was a tight-knit community of people with the same interests. Despite the fierce competition, the drivers were commonly more friends than foes. Yeah, they were family. They were family. I don't have friends. I got family. While it started within the Asian-American community, in SoCal, cities like Torrance and Gardena, places with large Japanese immigrant populations, 
the culture quickly spread. Anybody with a lead foot and some cash could participate. For an inclusive and diverse community to form on the streets organically in the early 1990s is noteworthy. From industrial areas to back roads, these racers would meet up in parking lots late at night and then head to an infamous second location like Railroad Street in Silmar to go fast. There's also the Compton Speedway. Compton Speedway. That's is a famous one. Labeled Compton on, Speedway you can find on, it on Google Maps. <laughs> and if you look at pictures of it on Google Maps, it's like a prepped racetrack. It's people like narking themselves out. Yeah. Like the, on I Google. Think, yeah. The picture on Google is a guy with prepping a torch yeah. prepping the starting <laughs> What? Also, yeah. over in like Bakersfield, people will go to like the farm roads mm -hmm. in the middle of orchards. That's pretty sick too. Yeah. Seen videos of that. I feel like so many movies open up with people racing through orchards. Oh, yeah. Well, orchards, a lot of straight roads, Joe. Yeah. I don't know if you know that. I uh, don't. I thought it was a lot of curvies. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Leah, a formerly drift driver and former street racer, gave Auto Week a quote that sums it up pretty well. I think it started out being young Asian Americans to begin with, but I think it changed very quickly. And even among Asian Americans, there's so many different nationalities and backgrounds. The diversity was actually quite wide. It showed in the makeup of the whole scene. The surprising part, I would say the nice part about the roots of import car culture, and even today in our drifting world, is that it's always been very, very inclusive. I mean, dude, you go to a Formula Drift event, and it's just like, everybody's there. You know, it's, yeah. it's the, the net is so Leon, wide. Chris. Yeah. Evan. Evan. Paul, Daniel. All yeah. these dudes, they're there. Contrast that to other professional sporting events, professional motorsports events, which shall go unnamed. It's like way more diverse drifting. Yeah, yeah. tractor pulls. <laughs> the yeah. most exclusive different. race out there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you do. It's. I don't know anyone who has a tractor. No, I don't know anybody. I probably do. You probably do. Who? I don't know. You're from Wisconsin. Leon? Jeremiah probably has a tractor. Leon? Daniel, Paul. <laughs> Jeremiah has a tractor, guaranteed. No way. I bet. As parents' house, for sure. Dude, the other day, Jeremiah was like, I think I might bring my Harley F-150 out here. Yeah, and I was like, like what? what? You have a... you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a lot of stuff. Jeremiah is so cool. When the popularity of the import scene moved east to New York, it started to garner attention from the media. In 1996, Auto Week wrote that in places like Washington Heights and Hell's Kitchen, young people were starting to block off traffic to set up a makeshift drag strip, often a mile long. They'd routinely hit speeds up to 180 miles per hour on popular city streets and leave before law enforcement arrived. Or at least, that was the goal. Sometimes, they'd get unlucky, and people would go to jail. 180 seems pretty high. 180, that's, that's really there's fast. not a lot of cars on this list that will go 180. Yeah, even if you have like the craziest four-banger. That's fast. so fast. Especially in a mile. Yeah, wait a minute. No, there's no way. There's no way. Maybe like one guy. Maybe, Maybe one, one guy, guy went 180. Yeah. yeah. That's so it fast. Jimmy's friend who ran a 116 <laughs> in a single cam I meant Honda. I more like Hayabusa's went that fast than... Probably. Oh, that's civics. a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just want to redact that one. <laughs> <laughs> In 1998, a New York-based journalist named Ken Lee was commissioned to write an article about a car theft ring. While out investigating the ring, he accidentally stumbled upon an underground culture he had no idea even existed. 
Now I'm driving up the street, see? And it's lined <laughs> with these really tuned and tricked out and mostly Japanese cars, see? Slammed to the ground with all these tattooed stickers and stuff. I'd grown up in New York City my entire life. I can't find a good bagel anywhere. <laughs> and I had never seen these kind of cars before. It was like I discovered some sort of secret new underworld I never knew existed, see? It's cool that we got that audio. Yeah. Full stop. <laughs> Lee's interest in the car thefts quickly pivoted to street racing culture. After all, car theft in New York had been going on for decades, but street racing was more specific to this moment in time. So he pitched it to Vibe Magazine, a publication dedicated to street and hip-hop culture. They immediately approved it. The piece was called Racer X and followed a veteran New York street racer named Rafael Estevez. It describes in enthralling detail what it's like to experience the import scene. It's eccentric characters and they're really cool cars. I had to read it one time for a up to speed episode like years ago and it mm -hmm. actually it holds up. It's definitely worth checking out. For it's sure. Like out. Yeah, guys, uh Resubscribe to Vibe. <laughs> you can find it online in PDF form. I I prefer the printed work. The article was a national hit. The topic of many conversations around the office water cooler, or in our case, the bevy. The bevy machine. <laughs> Did you see Racer X? Did you see Racer X? I'm going with peach mango. <laughs> <laughs> Lee's article eventually found its way to the desks of Hollywood producers, a group of people who are known to scour the papers for stories like oh, truffle yeah. pigs in a damp forest. <laughs> well, they might have been uh, back then. These days, it's like, hey, what IP do we have floating around? Yeah. Hey, you know what needs a reboot? Willow. They're making a series, right? Yeah. I'm glad that. What's that actor's name? Warwick Davis. Yeah, I'm glad that Warwick Davis is getting work. He's, yeah, that's true. He's back in uh, in his role as Willow. Mm -hmm. He's back, wow. dude. I loved Willow when I was a kid. I had Willow action figures. I just Whoa. watched Harry Potter mm -hmm. 4 last night, and he was great in it. He has got a goofy haircut. <laughs> we love a goofy haircut. We'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Only a few weeks after the release of his article, Lee started receiving bids to option his story into a movie. If the import scene that Lee wrote about was a secret underworld, then it wouldn't stay secret for very long. It was about to become known in households all over the world as the inspiration for one of the biggest franchises in American cinematic history, The Fast and the Furious. But wasn't it a movie in like the 60s too? We'll get there. When Rob Cohen finished reading Vibe's Racer X article, he immediately called a friend to talk about it. Cohen had been producing and directing movies in Hollywood for years. He had a knack for exciting action, having directed films like Daylight. I love Daylight. With Sylvester Stallone. Really? Is that the tunnel one? Daylight's awesome, yeah. Yeah, that's a great movie. Dude, that movie's like such a movie. You know what I mean? Like it's so like... High concept. Well, like, like just like, like the, the set, like there's always like water yeah. running mm, stuff. It's it. like going to like universal. I it's love like a universal. I love run. that kind and of movie. And there's just that ominous, like the tunnels filling up with water the whole movie. He's got to dive and hmm. go to other places and stuff. It just puts you on edge the whole time. I'll check this out. He also made a little movie called Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. But he wanted some more insight from a friend slash producer best known for his ability to reach the teen market. He called Neil H. Moritz, known for the 90s flagship films like I Know What You Did Last Summer nice. and Cruel Intentions. I love Ryan Philippi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Philippi head. Big time, dude. He's I'm a Filipino. <laughs> you say Filipino, I say Filipi. Yes, please. Yes. He's great in MacGruber. MacGruber. Oh, that's yeah. He has one of the funniest lines in MacGruber. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to talk to somebody who was in that movie or worked on that movie. To, I don't know if it's improvised or not, but like it's just such a throwaway line. Uh, he like comes, he's at MacGruber's house and he comes out of the bathroom and he just goes, MacGruber, your toilet is disgusting. <laughs> and they, they don't acknowledge it. They just move on. But it's so funny. It's such a funny moment. It's my favorite joke in any movie. Well, MacGruber, your toilet is disgusting. It just adds so much to like MacGruber's character. <laughs> Neil Moritz was ecstatic when Rob Cohen called because he too had also read Racer X. I read that. St- I read it too. That Good article vibe. in Vibe yeah, magazine. Vibe. They both had the same exact vision. A thrilling, action-packed car racing movie that would get teenagers to go to the theaters and droves and you do that by casting vin diesel uh cohen and moritz agreed to team up and purchase the rights from lee for a six-figure payout a little payday on top of the vibe uh, pretty low looking back at it now that's not a great deal uh once cohen and moritz had the rights for the movie the pair reached out to hollow man screenwriter Remember that movie with uh, Ke- uh, yeah, you Kevin see his, Bacon? You see his invisible dong. Yeah. Uh, the screenwriter for that movie, Gary Scott Thompson. Thompson was considered an up-and-coming writer and also had knowledge of the import scene. 
in college, he would watch his neighbors wrenching on their cars. And apparently <laughs> that qualified him enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently keep, that was enough keep to be twisting qualified. Uh, you're pretty greasy, Cohen, Moritz, and Thompson worked tirelessly to find an angle to their story that worked. They regularly attended illegal street races, searching for inspiration and specifics. Urban drag racing sounds like an event at the Gravity Games, now that I think about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're like, uh, street luge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, it's coming back. It's coming yeah. back, dude. I've I have invested a lot a, of money. I've a lot of money in, in luge coin. Yeah. Um, much of what they saw wound up on pages of the script. There was one night where Thompson went out to San Pedro and was inspired by how diverse these racers were. This experience is what influenced the first big street racing scene of the first movie. The first script they wrote was called, uh, rather predictably, Racer X. It was a gritty New York-based romance action movie described as Romeo and Juliet with cars. That's how you get the kids in seats, man. Dude, yeah. Also, that's how I describe my life. Yeah. <laughs> Weirdly enough, all the cars talked yeah. in the first version, and they had big lips, and then they were... <laughs> Kiss. Kiss. <laughs> All the characters were immoral anti-heroes, nihilists, fed up with the freaking system, man. Gen X, baby. <laughs> they got new coke. It was a bunch of Tiernans. <laughs> <laughs> it was very on brand for the 90s. The movie originally ended with a big set piece in a warehouse where the pensive teenagers would dramatically shoot at each other until everyone was dead. <laughs> and of course, sick. they were surrounded by cool cars. Universal loved it, and they gave it the green light. That movie sounds just what I'm picturing right now. I'm, it sounds kind of bad. No, yeah, until they die. That sounds sick. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But then you can't do sequels. Man in the Box by Alice in Chains over the title sequence. Everyone's wearing flannels. They're like, this system sucks, man. They're making new Coke now. I don't like this capitalist system. Let's race our cars. Yeah. We, have you heard about this thing called the Internet? Yeah, you can. Uh, my girlfriend lives in Canada. <laughs> All right, I'm glad they didn't make that yeah, version. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> almost immediately afterwards, in the spring of 1998, the Columbine High School massacre shocked the country. It was one of America's first major mass shootings and was covered by the media around the clock. And as you can probably guess, Universal knew that announcing a movie where teenagers engage in gun battles right after Columbine might be a bad idea. Racer X, the movie that was Romeo and Juliet with cars, was done. I did not know that. That's a wild uh, turn of events. Cohen and Moritz weren't deterred. They knew they had something special and decided to go back to the proverbial drawing board, a.k.a. whatever people used to write things down in the 90s. <laughs> They changed the name of the film to Redline, hoping to invoke an emotional connection from car lovers. But they still needed a story. Change <laughs> <laughs> well, the title. That's enough work for All one right, day. Step one. Uh, yeah. yeah, title. Pretty. You good? You good? Yeah. Should we do you, lunch? You want to go to Musso and Frank's <laughs> or Spago Polo Lounge? These are all fancy restaurants for 90s Los Angeles. <laughs> Cohen realized that in order to sell an action movie aimed at teenagers, they should model their script after an action movie that was popular with teenagers. The film they landed on was a retelling of Point Break. In Hollywood, this is considered 
innovation. Hey, you know, you take a little scoop of this, you put a scoop of that in there, yeah. boom, new movie. Hey, it's point break with cars. Look, instead of shooting each other, why doesn't he just yell and shoot into the sky? I never knocked on nobody. Point Break, uh, starring Keanu Reeves and the late, great Patrick Swayze, RIP for sure, uh, is about an undercover law enforcement agent who infiltrates an underground network of thieves led by a charismatic yet troubled alpha male type. In Redline, instead of the thieves being laid-back surfers, they'd be laid-back street racers. And instead of robbing banks, the thieves would rob 18-wheeler big rigs stocked with expensive products. Like, like TVs. DVD, TVs and DVD players. VHS players. Yeah, <laughs> TVs with DVD players in them. <laughs> that are 13 this, inches big. Yeah, yeah. It's just like such a hard thing to like. It hasn't aged well. Even if it was like new electronics, it's like, okay, we got all this product now we're best buy like we have yeah. to run a, like, <laughs> yeah. an electronics company now like it should have been brinks trucks or something but the 18 wheeler stuff really good decision it's so sick so sick cohen and Morris didn't really care that they were repackaging a story people had seen before they were betting that the star of the film would be the cars and that would be enough to sell tickets. That's what we're here to talk about, the, baby cars. This white cars. Jetta's going to be the star. Yeah. <laughs> they pitched it to Universal again. And again, Universal loved it, bought it, and greenlit it. However, they had a few issues with the script. First, Redline wasn't a catchy enough title. And second, they didn't think the script featured enough white people. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, which is hmm. a, a huge problem with m- movies. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Just in general. <laughs> yeah. I think it's... White people are not represented in film. I'm always watching movies yeah. and being like, where's the white guy? Where's the white guy? That's why I only watch historical reenactments because uh, only white people did stuff in history. Yeah. In the 90s, Hollywood uh, was much more blatant about its racism. <laughs> Universal wanted the two leads in the movie to be Marshall Mathers, <laughs> a.k.a. Slim Shady, a.k.a. Eminem. Whoa. Uh, that would be <laughs> sick. Yeah. Dude, honestly, I like love Paul Walker, but... Kind of siding with Universal. For sure. <laughs> Dude. Oh, man. What a missed opportunity. So they wanted the two leads of the movie to be Eminem and Timothy Oliphant. I love Timothy Oliphant. Dude, I love Timothy Oliphant. Yeah. Justified, one of the best TV shows. I auditioned like, for Justified. What? Yeah, to be like the deputy, like his friend, the dopey one. Well, oh, nice. I got pretty far. Dang. Wow. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. But now I'm here with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Justified's canceled. Yeah. So am I. <laughs> this is my last <laughs> Dude, we should make... That this, movie so, this would with, still yeah. work. With Eminem and Redline Joe. starring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They also wanted writer David Ayer, who had just sold his fantastic LA crime field. Training Day? Yeah, dude. What? David Ayer dude. is like an amazing writer. This yeah. would have been the best movie yeah. ever. Yeah. This would have been really good. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, I love Fast and Furious, but it kind of sucks. Yeah. This would have been amazing. <laughs> I think. I Okay, here's my take. I think this would have been a much better movie, but it went a would have been like a one and done. Okay, or maybe I'm two fine movies. with that. I'm totally fine. I don't need Dude. ten Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> I can't tell seven of them. David Ayer is responsible for End of Watch, uh, Suicide Squad, uh, the good one Training or the Day, bad one. The the one that came in 2016. He did Fury. Uh, he also wrote Sabotage, which was not good. Uh, he did the original SWAT from 2013. <laughs> Whoa, SWAT was good. 
uh, and Fast and Furious. U571? He did a sub movie? Dude, this movie would have effed. Speaking of Back to Daylight, speaking of holding your breath, U571's got some holding your breath yes. scenes. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. He would, this would have been, this so, been so good. Cohen would direct, and Moritz was to be the main executive producer. Wow, man. <sighs> Dang. What could have been? Unfortunately, Eminem and Timmy both had to back out. Uh, Mathers was set to play the undercover cop, Brian O'Connor, but he was too busy uh, making Eight Mile, which, by the way, is a great movie. That's a great movie. And it holds up. I, I watched it twice in one day. But... <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Over Christmas break. That's an insane thing to do. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I watched it, and then like I like ate lunch, and I was like, I was watch it again. It's so good. I love Mickey Pfeiffer in that. Yeah, Mickey Pfeiffer's great. Brittany Murphy's amazing yeah. in it. <laughs> That's an insane thing to do. It's not insane. It's weird. It's not insane. It's a weird day. <laughs> and Timothy Oliphant, who was supposed to play the gang leader, Dominic Toretto, had signed on to be in a different car movie, Gone in 60 uh, Seconds, and didn't want to pigeonhole himself. You know, Maybe fair. his name would have been Toretti because he would have been of Italian-American descent. Yeah. Instead of Puerto Rican descent. Oh, maybe. It's possible that if he had done two car movies, maybe he doesn't get cast and justified as uh, Waylon Givens. So. Wow, we're just butterflying effect yeah. this whole... Yeah, this whole world. Waylon My Gibbons. favorite line from Timothy Oliphant's best line in Gone 60 Seconds is during the final chase scene, one of the cops' cars gets hit by a wrecking ball, and he, he goes up to the cop and he goes, Are you okay? Because... You know, you just went through a wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's so good. Oh, I gotta watch the crazies now. He's so good in the crazies too. Like Point Break, it was imperative that this yet-to-be-titled film have attractive young actors who could bring the cool factor. <laughs> That's why we hired Nolan. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Cohen had recently directed the movie The Skulls. And worked Love with a young, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Paul Walker. Check out the skulls, dude. Check out the skulls. I, I watched that like last year. It's got for, Pacey in it. It's so good. Pacey from Dawson's Creek. It's got everybody from everything. Yeah, it's it. based on a secret society at Yale yeah, that it, George W. Bush was a part of. And oh, apparently, Skull and Bones? Yeah. Yeah, yeah oh. you got to jerk off in front of your dad. Oh, no. No, I don't know yeah. if that's... Wait, so George Bush did it in front of George Bush? Yeah, and like everyone else <laughs> in the thing. And like that's like a thing... That's like, all right, now you've done that. You can't betray any of us because we've seen you jerk off in front of your dad and we'll tell everybody. But oh, some God. someone told. We just told everybody. I'm in Skull and Bones. I oh, want okay. to go. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Uh, take that out. <laughs> oh, shit. Great movie. Check it out. Yeah. It's not, There's great. No it's not a great movie. It's, it's, it's okay. pretty good, It's dude. fine. It's pretty good. It's of the time. Of the time. It's pretty yeah, good. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty good. There's no jerking off in it. No. <laughs> While Walker wasn't a household name yet, his face was one that many teenagers were already familiar with. He had found a niche in the teenage movie market with key roles in She's All That, Varsity Blues, and The Skulls. He's a very handsome guy. Very handsome guy. Playing football at West Canton High School may have been the opportunity of your lifetime, but <laughs> I don't want your life. <laughs> Plus, Walker already loved cars and had recently asked his agent to find him an undercover detective role. They had their Brian O'Connor. That's it, does an it, insane it, ask. Is that how that works? <laughs> like, you had an agent for a little while, right? Could you uh -huh. be like, I want to play for this kind while. of a character, or is it the other way, where they bring you roles? Well, it's the other way. They bring yeah. you roles. But I think if you're more successful than I was, mm -hmm. you get to be a bigger part of the conversation. Sure, okay. Um, 
more than one time I've been cast as blank hipster. Mm. <laughs> so in Two Broke Girls, I was drunk hipster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and something else, I was like frat hipster. Gotcha. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's just the way that I dressed. <laughs> Did you ever have a type party? A type party? Me and my actor friends would do this. You all just kind of go around and you get everyone's opinion on like what your type is mm-hmm. and what kind of roles you should be going out for. Yeah. Um, it helped me like realize like what that hmm. I'm just a dumb dumb yeah, guy. I got, I got yeah. cast as, <laughs> should be going out for dumb guy roles. I got cast as dumb guys a lot. Um, <laughs> and uh, one in one movie, I it was about two brothers and I was like the co-star. I played like the got it together brother. Oh, you know, and the other one was like the dumb one. Yeah, and like I had fun like shooting it or whatever, but like I was so jealous. Mm-hmm. That I couldn't be the dumb one, and it was like just so boring. The dumb mm-hmm. one's like, always fun, way more fun dumb, to play. The dumb one's so much more fun. Yeah. Like you get to do like all the dumb stuff, and like, and like, like you get to overfill the Slurpee or whatever. And then like m- the whole time I was playing like the got it together straight man brother, like I felt like I was just like, <sighs> yeah, like that's the whole thing. Yeah. It was just like oh, you're having fun. anyway being dumb is way more fun yeah (laughs) however walker had never carried a film by himself before he wanted somebody who had carried a film to play the toretto role moritz pitched vin diesel a tough looking up-and-coming actor Diesel had memorable roles in Saving Private Ryan and Boiler Room, where he had hair and. Really I don't know about looking. if he's that memorable in Saving. He's, yeah, he's, he's good in that. He's dude. like a little, he's so he good gets, in that. He gets shot, shot like early yeah, on. So sad. Yeah, yeah, that's a okay. Good that is death. somewhat memorable. Yeah, great. Steven death. Spielberg yeah. asked for him. Oh, that's right. He's like, uh, and he's like, give this to my dad. So it's got, a, gets, got yeah, some sauce nice. on it, but she'll understand. <laughs> it's got some Sunday gravy all over it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Vin Diesel. I haven't I, seen Boiler Room. Boiler is that good? Great. Dude, if you like Skulls, you'll love Boiler Room. Okay, I'll check that out. Uh, it's basically the donut story. Uh, and he had recently starred in a surprise hit science fiction movie called Pitch Black. Pitch Ooh, Black great, was sick. actual great movie. Hell Another yeah, great dude. franchise. Yeah. After this surprising success, Diesel was a highly sought-after actor with a lot of offers on the table. He initially wasn't interested in the role until a conversation with his agent changed his mind. Now, they had their Dom Toretto. The agent just, like, draws... <laughs> A dollar sign yeah, on a like, piece of paper. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look, Tom, I think you should reconsider this. <laughs> After bringing Michelle Rodriguez and Jordana Brewster in to play the Leeds's love interests, it was time to change the name. Universal and Cohen wanted something with a little bit more personality, something to match the tone. After some research into old B-movies, Cohen found what he was looking for. There was a 1954 Roger Corman film about car racing called The Fast and the Furious. No kidding. Universal bought the rights and they had their title. Roger Corman. I have a uh, sweatshirt. Uh, it's an NHRA, like Nationals sweatshirt. Uh-huh. And it, it's from like 1997 before The Fast and the Furious. And it says The Fast and the Furious. Oh, that's sick. Yeah, I have a lot of really cool clothes. This dude's <laughs> still alive. He's 96. That's so cool. That's so cool. That's so old. <laughs> That's so old. So old. 
With a budget of $38 million, the oh. fa- Fast and the Furious <laughs> began shooting in August of 2000. Universal had pretty modest expectations for the movie and believed they could turn a profit, but not much else. After all, there weren't any massive stars attached to drive people to the box office. There were only cars to drive people to the box office. Nice. <laughs> Bazinga. It wasn't until they started to look at the dailies, which is raw, unedited footage from a day's filming, that they realized that they may have something more. From the dailies, it was clear that Cohen's vision to make Cars the star of the film was working. The cars were stunning, thanks to a technical advisor on the movie named Craig Lieberman. Yeah, shouts to Craig Lieberman. He has a YouTube channel. He talks a lot about the Fast and Furious cars. It's very interesting. A lot if you want of to learn insight. more about any of the vehicles in any of those movies, check it out. Yes. Lieberman was a major influence on which cars got screen time because he was an aficionado and owned many street racing imports. Some of the cars were even used in the film. Lieberman was given a car budget of two million dollars. Wow! Oh man, you know <laughs> what? what I do? Two million dollars? Oh man! Uh, what do cars cost? We got to buy four cars. How about two million dollars? Yeah. <laughs> so he curated a whole fleet of really cool cars. He also stayed true to the import scene by making sure that the cars were foreign made, except for that lightning. Yeah, baby, that's my favorite one. Well, your one favorite car in the whole movie? No. <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah. It's one of my favorites, though. Oh, for sure, I love it. Uh, some of the cars in the first film include a souped-up 1995 lime green Mitsubishi Eclipse, a 94 Mark IV Supra, a 93 Mazda RX-7. That's my favorite. Uh, a 99 Nissan Skyline and a 99 Nissan Maxima driven by the villain of the film. <laughs> he's not a villain. Vince? Vince isn't the villain of the film. He's an antagonist. He's a he's an antagonist protagonist. He's a jerk. He's a jerk, but he's part of the team. He's the it's good guy. It's funny that he's a jerk and drives a Maxima. I know, <laughs> but he's not the villain. Yeah, that's right. The villain is Vin Diesel. No, there is no villain. No, there is a villain. The cops. No. Who's the villain? The the gang on the street bikes. Oh, yeah. The yeah. tuna sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, oh, sorry. James's favorite car, the 95 Volkswagen Jetta <laughs> that would eventually be bought by Frankie Muniz. What? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh my God. The Supra, Maxima, and Skyline were all from Lieberman's personal collection. That's such a flex by Frankie to Maybe. buy the worst car in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Automatic two liter Mark III Jetta. <laughs> the lone exception to the imports only rule was a classic American muscle car, a 1970 Dodge Charger that Dom Toretto has sitting in his garage. That's my favorite car. Oh, for sure. Movie. Yeah, for sure. One. In the movie, he's never driven it because it was his father's car. This was a classic foreshadowing plot device. Chekhov's Charger. <laughs> Show a car in the first act and drive it in the third. I actually did, long story short, I was in an acting class for a little while, and I did a did a reading of that scene. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Or like oh, an exercise. I, okay, okay so like it. when people start, when someone starts being on camera at Donut and be, like becomes like a host... I make them take improv classes, and Nolan went to sign up for an improv class and accidentally signed up for a method acting yeah. class. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. was like, all right. I did it for like two months. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. Uh, along with the improv class, but I did the acting class and was like, it's pretty fun. Dude, he stayed in character the whole time. It was like Jared Leto. He, sending, he sent me a rat. Yeah. Uh, we missed it. We, we didn't call it out, but Letty drives an S14. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. It doesn't get a lot of screen time. 
The coolest cars don't. Yeah. The R32 is super cool. Sorry, pizza pan. Yeah, got to go. Yeah, yeah. go a different way. What? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, pizza man. Got to go, go a different way. <laughs> sorry, pizza man. You know, Billy Bob Thornton was in Fast <laughs> Hey, sorry, pizza man. You got to go, go a different way. <laughs> You know that line? Yeah. <laughs> After seeing how exciting the cars were in the dailies, Universal adjusted its marketing plan and release date. It was now going to be re- it was now going to be released in the summer of 2001 during the prime blockbuster season. With a heightened national profile, the pressure was on for Moritz and Cohen to, li- to deliver. Yet after months of filming and crashing 73 different cars, The Fast and the Furious was finally finished. You know what? Critical reviews of the film were mixed. It scored a 53% on the newly launched Rotten Tomatoes and a 58 on Metacritic. General audiences, however, disagreed with the critics, man. F*** the critics. The film opened in 2,900 different theaters nationwide and made over $40 million its opening weekend alone. Made oh. that money back, baby. Yeah. 40 million, baby. Uh, by the end of its I run theaters. I love $40 million. Dollars. <laughs> oh yeah that'd be so great right now dude i love yeah. it i love yeah. it i love 40 million dollars yeah it's one of my favorite things yeah <laughs> by the end of its run in theaters the fast and the furious would gross over 200 million oh, by like 200 million dollars yeah. more than 40 million though the good people at universal were thrilled they had more than just a one-off money maker and immediately began to throw the word sequel around hey hey sequel someone say sequel hey are you just throwing that word around me and Andy, uh, you guys might remember Andy from, uh, he guest hosted uh, when Joe was out of town. We have an idea for a sequel with no movie. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, just supposed to like know all this information. Yeah, yeah. There's like no character development or anything, <laughs> but uh, it's animated yeah. and it takes place in the ocean and it's called the sequel. S-E-A. <laughs> Isn't that like a chipmunks movie? No, that's the squeakle. Oh. That's where we... Oh, you can't speak any more about it because you stole chipmunks' idea? No, I can't speak any more about it so you don't steal it. <laughs> we'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. At the time, sequels in Hollywood were notoriously difficult to pull off, especially when the lineup changes. And for the second film in the Fast and Furious franchise, both Vin Diesel and director Rob Cohen were out. Cohen was hired to direct a movie called Triple X about a secret agent and adrenaline junkie who'd basically win every event at X Games. It's the most... Mountain Dew movie ever. He drives a (laughs) senator's Corvette off a bridge and jumps out. Yeah. He's got a GTO with missiles in the headlights. Dude, I know so many lines from these movies. I'm really yeah. like, he wears a yeah. big fur coat. Um, oh, oh yeah, he wears a big, big fur coat. Yeah, that's right. There's a there's, there's a, a Rammstein Rammstein concert. Yeah. Whoa, hell yeah! I love these movies. Dude, I would see Rammstein. <laughs> I want to see Rammstein in Berlin. That'd be cool. Oh, when I yeah. search for a triple X movie, it says yeah. It puts that <laughs> don't, don't do that. Vin Diesel joined him as the lead of the movie, despite being offered $25 million Whoa, to play Toretto geez, again. Okay, that would have been a big okay. payday for a young yeah, man. Yeah. Could have bought a house. Diesel told Variety Magazine that he didn't do the sequel because he didn't like the script, which was, dude, it was written by uh, John Singleton. Singleton. It was written Whoa. by John Singleton, who wrote Boys in the Hood. It's a great script. Yeah. It's the best Fast and Furious script in the whole franchise. 
Ricky. Diesel said, they didn't take a Francis Ford Coppola approach to it. They approached it like they did sequels in the 80s and 90s when they would drum up a new story unrelated for... That's not how he talks. They didn't take a Francis... <laughs> <laughs> same, same voice. They didn't take a Francis... <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking like the Mucinex cartoon. Yeah, they would take it over this it's time. More, it's more just bass and less yeah. growl. They didn't it's not Rocky. They didn't take a Francis Ford Coppola approach to it. They approached it like they did sequels in the 80s and 90s. When they would drum up a new story unrelated for the most part and slap the same name on it. Okay, so I guess he wanted more of a saga. He's stood to or stuck to his principles so much that he But he, he also made, made triple X. I know, that's like, pretty funny. Yeah, How much did he get paid for that, I wonder? Losing a lead in a director posed a pretty big challenge for Universal. However, a fan of the first film decided to step in and help. Director John Singleton whose masterpiece Boys in the Hood made him the first black director to win the Oscar for Best Director. And he loved the first version <laughs> Singleton, which is the opposite of an Oscar. Uh, Singleton said he was jealous that he wasn't involved in the first film since he grew up in South Central L.A. watching street races. So when he heard that the sequel needed a director, he leapt at the opportunity. With Singleton on board and Paul Walker coming back, Universal wanted a few big names to replace Diesel. They added Tyrese Gibson, Chris Ludacris Bridges, and Eva Mendez to the cast. Despite Universal's initial belief that the cast wasn't white enough, ugh, Moritz kept moving in the opposite direction. He was making it more multicultural and diverse, mirroring the real culture that they were emulating. This would eventually prove to be one of the biggest contributors to the success of the saga in the future. Universal also managed to retain Lieberman as a technical advisor. His car knowledge helped give the production an air of authenticity in the racing community. Plus, borrowing some of Lieberman's cars was way easier on the budget. That's I think what the, we do at Donut. I think in the future it would be great <laughs> to be like a some sort of con uh, consultant or advisor yeah. on a car movie. Oh, be so sick. Yeah. 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 Consultants? Yep, yep, that's yep, the best nope. job. Mm -hmm. Just like, yeah, here's that, my opinion. And yeah, that's, you gotta pay that, me. that's cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The sequel, cheekily titled Too Fast, Too Furious, would be written by then unknown writing partners Michael Brandt and Derek Haas. It had a much more substantial budget of $76 million and a shiny new location perfect for showing off the car's paint jobs, a little place that I like to call... Miami, Florida. Ooh. Yeah, so those guys all would go under right 310 to Yuma. Pretty good Western. And also a million Chicago shows. Chicago Justice, Chicago PD, Chicago Med, Chicago Fire. That's all the departments. <laughs> Chicago, this week on Chicago Sanitation. Yeah. <laughs> we got to get this garbage in the truck. Yeah. <laughs> How am I supposed to focus on the garbage when my son's on heroin? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you, do you want an Italian uh, uh, Italian beef? We got spicy or sweet? <laughs> uh, no, I'm eating this really, 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 really thin pizza that I got at the tavern. <laughs> hey, I don't know if we're actually from Chicago. <laughs> hey, why are we talking like this? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a hot dog yeah. running through the garden. <laughs> Shout out Mr. J's, dude. Great Italian beef. The basic plot of the sequel follows Paul Walker's character, Brian O'Connor, as an ex-cop living in Miami who makes money through illegal street racing. 
He's busted by the cops, and his former boss, who now works for the FBI, gives him a deal to go undercover and bring down a drug kingpin. Singleton wanted it to have more of a top gun feel instead of point break, but they still use the same basic formula as the first film. Build an action movie around street racing culture and litter the film with cool cars and hot young people. No, baby. (laughs) There is one, I think it's Fast 9, where they go to like the rich evil guy's mansion, Uh and there's like 280 scantily clad women just dancing in the driveway. Yeah, they rented my house for that. <laughs> it's like, why? Who are these women, and why are they outside? They're my employees. <laughs> They're my associates. <laughs> oh, they were like, you were the consultant, and you were like, yeah, you can use uh, they, my they, house. They and- drove by my house, and they saw that <laughs> happening, and they were like, hey, can we like shoot a movie here? And I was like, sure. Damn, dude. <laughs> Damn, dude. <laughs> Damn, dude. <laughs> Those are, they're all my sisters. <laughs> <laughs> the cars were definitely cool, and overall, there were over 240 of them. Lieberman's Nissan Skyline was back as Brian O'Connor's main car, as well as a 2002 Mitsubishi Lancer Evolution 7, which yeah. at the time was not available in the United States. Also featured was... Uh, probably in my opinion probably the worst car in the whole franchise Tyrese's car yeah Tyrese's car a 2001 Mitsubishi Eclipse Spider I think I ranked that as my least favorite car on that list the worst car in the whole franchise this is um, when he races backwards at like yeah Paul Walker's in the Evo yeah and he races backwards both high and low car RWXs give real too fast too furious oh definitely (laughs) yeah the movie was released on June 6th, 2003, and the reviews were not good. It was panned for being cliche, having a derivative storyline, and wooden acting. But Hollywood doesn't make movies for good reviews. In fact, critics can go suck a big old turd. Because, <laughs> like, what even is your what even is your job? My opinion is my job. It's the same token, we're talking about how cool consultants are. Consultants are cool. Because they're valued for the opinion yeah if you you don't have to make things for a living but if your job is like panning things that other people make you're yeah. a dork at least consultants are like constructive yeah consultants are constructive critics are professional redditors yeah so they don't make movies for good reviews they make them for profits aka money honey <laughs> <laughs> and by that metric too fast too furious was a success it made over 50 million dollars on its opening weekend making it the top movie in the country and it beat out that year's juggernaut finding nemo whoa yeah whoa yeah you dory (laughs) it would go on to gross over 236 million dollars worldwide collectively the two films had made a total of 443 million dollars in the box office with a profit of 329 mil that'll build a uh, pretty big executive office it'll build a pretty big little vacation spot if you know what i mean i put a (laughs) helicopter landing pad on my yacht (laughs) Universal Studios had basically accomplished the Hollywood version of buying a cheap plot of land only to discover that it's saturated in priceless, yummy, yucky crude oil. (laughs) It paid off, and the Fast and the Furious was going to get an upgrade 
to franchise. Ooh. Nice. Now this it, is where Justin Lin takes over. And yeah. this is when things get interesting. Ooh. I've been to his office. Wow. Yeah. Well, what was it like? Really nice. Cool. <laughs> cool. Way nicer than ours. Yeah. 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 Wait, nicer than our concrete bunker offices? <laughs> yeah. No art? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One thing that most big-time movie franchises have in common is they're usually character-driven. The audience develops a connection with relatable characters and follows their arc over the course of several movies. Fans learn all about the actors who play like, hey, those Bart. characters. Yeah. And the Luke, actor... Luke, skin, Luke Skywalker. Luke Skinwalker. <laughs> the actor and character are kind of abstractly bonded franchise, together. Luke Skinwalker. <laughs> Fans learn all about the actors who play characters. Han Solo, Draco, Malfoy. And actor and character kind of abstractly Princess bonded Leia. together. Snake. Darth Sidious. <laughs> because of this, it would be advantageous you got, for uh, Niall Longbottom. <laughs> Niall. <laughs> because of this, it'd be advantageous for an ascending franchise to keep the same characters. Lucius Malfoy, played by the same actors. But Fast and Furious wasn't going to follow through that dusty old roadmap. No. Instead, it grabbed the wheel and made a hard left turn with no turn signal. <laughs> And it came as a shock to the fans sitting in the back seat. No more Paul Walker and his sun-kissed feathery hair. Gone were most of the writers, the director, and even the curator of the cool cars, Greg Lieberman. Almost the entire cast and crew were completely overhauled after just two movies. The idea was not only to grow the universe of the Fast and Furious, but also its audience. And there was no better place to tap into an international car culture audience than Japan. So the next movie was going to take place in Tokyo. I mean, also, that's a very generous, it's a uh, very generous, generous yeah. read. They didn't care about growing the Fast and Furious universe. That they, they just didn't want to pay. They didn't want to yeah. pay the actors. They didn't want to pay Paul the enough. Yeah, like, and they, that's why the other actors didn't do the second movie. Yeah, because they wouldn't pay him enough, and yeah. Paul cared about the franchise enough yeah. to like keep growing it. Yeah, but then they for the third movie, they were just like you guys i think when i was talking to cody when we, we did the yeah, up to speed Cody's, on paul walker, uh, paul's brother we talked to cody walker about it and i think paul even negotiated like sure he he was asking a fair price because he carried the first two movies mm-hmm. he's the star yeah. it's like his face attached to the franchise but then they kind of you know he even he negotiated downward to keep the mm-hmm. role and say like hey like keep me in this i care about this a lot yeah. but it was still too much for universal they were really wow. yeah i mean the this money. is a perfect like this is just not caring about the value of people. Right. Yeah. It's just like, like, we have this name. Let's uh-huh. make another movie. Yeah. Let's see how that turns out. Yeah. That would be like if you went to Donut's YouTube and there are just like five new dudes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know these guys. Don't do, do it, it recurrent. recurrent. <laughs> That's Wrench and Rob. None of the old guys had weird nicknames. <laughs> well, they're trying to expand the universe. Hi, uh, I'm... I'm Jim. I'm Noah. Yeah, Jim. Noah. Noah. <laughs> Zeke. Zeke. Dustin. Zeke Jeeb. Zeke Jeeb. Dustin. <laughs> Dustin. <laughs> Jeremiah stays. Yeah. <laughs> he negotiated down. Yeah, he negotiated down. To capture the nuances of the foreign racing culture, it was decided they would move away from drag racing and instead focus on a driving technique you might know as drifting. <laughs> drifting was developed in Japan by Kunimitsu Takahashi in the 1960s. 
if you're somehow unfamiliar with drifting. If you've had your eyes closed for the past yeah. 20 years. Drifting is basically when a car is intentionally oversteered while navigating a sharp corner. It looks sick as hell. While it loses traction, the driver can maintain control because the rear slip angle is greater than the front slip angle. It's freaking sick. Yeah, it's sick. Anyway, as I mentioned, Moritz also decided to bring on board both a new writer and new director. Chris Morgan was a young writer whose first script, Cellular, Ugh. got him some attention in the industry. Is that the one with the phone booth? No, yeah. that's phone booth. Well, it's a phone. There's a phone in it. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's the movie with the phone. So <laughs> he was hired. Moritz also recently taken notice of a young director named Justin Lin. After seeing Lin's Better Luck Tomorrow, Dude, a film. So good. Yeah, Better Luck Tomorrow is so good. A film about a group of high-achieving East Asian high school students who turned to crime he was asked to direct. Yeah, definitely check um, out Better and, Luck Tomorrow. Uh, Sung Kang is in Better Luck Tomorrow, and his character's name is Han, and Justin Lin has confirmed that Better Luck Tomorrow, he's the same Han. Whoa. Oh, really? So Wait. it's Fast and Furious canon. Doesn't he have some play on Han Solo? Maybe. <laughs> like, that's what Han was doing in high school. That's sick. Oh. Yeah. That's cool as hell. Lynn, who knew nothing about street racing, had seen the first Fast and Furious in film school and was drawn to the excitement it brought to a sold-out theater. Quote, what really excited me about directing this film was a chance to harness the energy of the crowd, create a whole new chapter, and up the ante by bringing something new to the table for the audience who loves action and speed. Quote, the final piece to add was the lead, 24-year-old actor, Lucas Black. Uh, he's had, the one with the forehead. Yeah, who had starred in Sling Blade and Friday Night Lights was brought in to play the lead. As for the plot of the movie... Friday Night Lights the movie, not the TV show. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, I was like, I don't remember <laughs> him. Yeah, you're a, big, you're a big time Friday Night Lights I've fan. probably watched Friday Night Lights in its entirety seven times. Wow. Damn. Damn. I've never seen it once. Yeah. Really? Is there like a, a wife that drinks wine all the time? Yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah, right. Tammy Taylor. As for the plot of the movie, it didn't really break any molds. Uh, a young 20-something named Sean Boswell, played by Black, loves to race cars, and after getting into some trouble, he's sent to Japan to live with his father, who's a Navy officer. He learns how to drift and gets in some trouble, racing against member of the Yakuza gang. And he befriends a young Bow Wow in his uh, Hulk, <laughs> Hulk car. <fist> car. <laughs> there was initial concern that so much change could hurt viewership. But from the beginning, the bet had always been that the stars are the cars, right? That's what the people will come to see. And the cars in Tokyo Drift continued to be cool as hell. In fact, these cars would end up being the fastest and most expensive cars of the first three films, according to a test run by Sport Compact Car Magazine. Mazda RX-7 Mazda RX-7. Black and orange livery. Originally, it was like, I think, silver. Oh, black and, and orange is so sick. Yeah, but I bet it would look so much cooler in silver. It would know. look more something like you'd want to actually be seen yeah. in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the orange is like, I think, pretty iconic movie-wise. Oh, for yeah. sure. I mean, look at Highcar. Look at my phone. This Whoa. Is the, this is the most memorable phone case of all time. That is pretty sick. <laughs> uh, but to add some variety, there's also a 1971 Chevy Monte Carlo in the opening scene. I love that car. Yeah. Uh, there's also the Viper that the yeah. jock drives. Driven by the older brother from Home Improvement. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh -huh. Right. And a stunning mm -hmm. 1967 Ford Ma Ma Mustang, Ford Mustang Fastback with, with the RB26. RB26 in it. Oh, Zachary right. Ty Bryan, that's right. Yeah. Um, 
the youngest brother in Home Improvement came to my birthday party last year. Mark. What? Mark. Wow. You guys are so connected. Uh, if a person liked looking at cars, <laughs> they'd like looking at this movie. Yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. With the eyeballs. <laughs> you know. Uh, but perhaps there just weren't as many people willing to go to a There's movie There's also theater. an Evo in it. Yeah, the red that one. That was like the hero car that he like learned to drift in, which is <laughs> yeah, like a very strange decision. But I, I like that car a lot. It's, it's a cool, cool car, but... Yeah. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Also, the S15 Silvia Mona yeah. Lisa. Oh, yeah, the blue and orange one, right? Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. that thing's cool. And the Drift King's car, it's like silver. Oh, he drives a 370. Yeah, sorry. He has a 370 fairly. That a thing's 350. Uh, 350, sorry. Yeah, that thing is really cool, too. It is cool. Um, the Drift Ooh. King is in this movie as uh, the army brats learning how to drift oh. on the docks. Oh. And Ka- he's, he's a fisherman. Yeah. yeah. He makes a cameo and he's, yeah. he just goes, bah. Yeah. <laughs> like he, gives, he gives a disproving yeah. Uh, yeah. shake of yeah. the head. It's pretty, pretty sick. But you know who's not in it? Eminem. And who else is not in it? Timothy Oliphant. No, but Lucas Black kind of does look like, like a great value young Oliphant. No, he no, doesn't. No, he doesn't at all. Not at all. They don't look... Uh, look, he's got a big forehead, but they like... They look like they're from like the same... Yes. Coal mine town. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Uh, Timothy okay. Oliphant is a stud. Yes. Yeah. He's a hot... Uh, yeah. Our producer, Christina. She went... Agreed. She went... She's drooling right now. She goes, I want Oliphant. No, I just want a piece of fan. I want all of oh, fan. <laughs> uh, he is a good looking dude for sure. Um, but perhaps there just weren't as many people willing to go for, to the movie theater for cars as they thought. Because despite the expansion of the universe and the exploration of drifting and all the other excuses they used to not pay Paul Walker, the movie didn't do very well. It was panned by critics and compared to the first two movies, the audiences mostly stayed away. Like, where's Brian, dude? Yeah. Not even an uncredited cameo from Vin Diesel as Dom Toretto was enough to garner excitement. And the reason that was in the film is because test audiences were like, where the hell is Dom? Where the hell is anybody else? So they spent a shit ton of money to get Vin back to set for that. Oh my Uh, God. That's another story that Cody told me. Um, yeah, the amount of money that they would have paid him just to be in the movie initially, uh-huh. they paid more to wow. get him oh, for geez. this cameo. Dude, that's a fun phone call to get. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> I just got to go to a parking garage and drive a car eight feet. Yeah, yeah I'll do that. <laughs> sure. $20 million. All right. <laughs> I'll do that. Yeah. The over, I don't know if it's 20 million, but it was a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, the overarching feeling. What are you, what are you, what are you talking about, drifting? <laughs> That's what he's at. All right, what, what he's like. Oh man, things are all weird over here in Japan. I love when Lucas Black comes back in the later movies uh-huh. and he's aged. Yeah, he yeah. does not look twenty four anymore. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, like yeah, you're gonna be making a rocket car for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that was so weird. Yeah. Super oh bizarre. man, all y'all fishing cooked around here. <laughs> <laughs> The best line for that oh movie. <laughs> the overarching feeling was that while Tokyo Drift technically didn't lose money, the franchise was heading in the wrong direction, sideways. Nice, dude. Historically, franchises that have dropping profits combined with sinking reviews don't stick around too long. They end up in Hollywood purgatory, where they lie dormant for three decades before it's recreated for a modern audience and profit from a younger generation on a streaming service somewhere. Because in Hollywood... 
That passes for innovation. (laughs) The Fast and the Furious franchise to this point is an enigma. On one hand, it garnered millions of dollars and put the profiles of its stars and creators into a new stratosphere. On the other hand, it still had yet to establish the most important element of basic storytelling. What was the franchise really about? From the beginning, Cohen and Moritz saw a unique opportunity to explain to the world the well-observed details of an underground culture that most people would otherwise never encounter. But how much of the franchise at this point was even about that? As the pages of the scripts were filling up with story arcs involving dangerous crime syndicates, elaborate heists, and military-grade weapons, there was less room for cars than the interesting characters that drove them. And that's where we'll pick up next week with part two oh, hell of yes. our Fast and Furious saga. Too Fast, Too Podcast. Yeah, Whoa. Too Fast, Too Gas. Oh, that's better. <laughs> yeah. Call a rewrite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a great story, man. I love uh, It's always fun learning about this series yeah. mm-hmm. the, and the inner workings of Hollywood. And it really, like, you know, we haven't done Fast and Furious stuff in a while, but reading it, like, so much came flooding back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's fun. Mm-hmm. So check out the Skulls, Joshua Jackson. <laughs> yeah, check out the Skulls. Go watch Friday Night, or go watch Friday Night Lights, the movie. Oh, and Daylight. Watch Daylight. Daylight. Uh, Varsity so, Blues wait, is a great movie. Also watch Sunlight by Danny Boyle because that, oh, that movie is so oh, yeah. good. Yeah. All right. We got some fan mail this I week. Want Playing football at West Canaan High School may have been the opportunity of your lifetime, but I don't want your life. Hey, gents. I don't want your Longtime listener and fellow YouTuber here. I got an idea. I. An idea I've had for some time, ever since that first time I heard James, a.k.a. Kentucky Cobra, say noise after it, is anything and or everything that happened to cars and people making slash racing developed them in 1969. Nice. Let me know what you think. Keep it juiced. That's Joe Saparo. Thank you, Joe, for your email. Everything in 1969 is nice. You know we say that because 69 means suck. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the suggestion. We'll look into that. Uh, if you want to hit up the show, uh, hit us up at passgas at donutmedia.com. Let us know what you think. Uh, whatever you want, send it. Hey, thank you very much for listening to this show. Follow the boys at James Pumphrey, at Joe G. Weber. Follow me at Nolan J. Sykes. Thank you very much to our producers this week. We got Christina Felsky and Gavin Kinzel and our writer, James Mastriani. Join us next week, will you? Leave a nice review. See you next time. Yeah, and if you're offended by this Wisconsinite to my right, follow uh, Minnesota <laughs> Hates Joe Weber on Instagram. Bring it. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience 
and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.